Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I had a, a pretty harrowing emergency this morning. Uh, an actual emergency. Kind of. <laughs> an was... emergency to us can be a lot different from a regular person's emergency. Well, I was walking my dog and I was kind of, I was about a mile from uh from where i live and i was on this hill that i i walked the dog past there because there is a really good coffee shop over there that you can either walk on glendale boulevard which is super noisy and cars are going a million miles an hour and there are you know just there's just garbage all over the place it's a very unpleasant street to walk on or you can go on this hill and the hill occasionally has an encampment on it, which mm-hmm. is not great to walk by with the dog because he can kind of, you know, if, if people have their stuff out, he, he gets curious about it. And it's just something I like to avoid if I can. Your dog treats uh, the homeless the same way he treats geese, which is to say, <laughs> yeah. wants to be friends. Yeah, yeah. He's very curious about the whole, the whole deal. So if if there's not an encampment currently there, uh, <laughs> that's the preferred way to go. And I was coming back from the coffee shop, having gone there on Glendale Boulevard for some reason. So I hadn't been on this little stretch of road yet. And as I was coming around the corner, I could see up the hill from where I was, a woman like jumping up and down, waving her hands. And she wasn't waving them at me, but I was like, oh boy, somebody is having... Someone's having a freak out of some kind. Uh-huh. And as I get closer, there is a like a plastic egg crate on fire in the middle of the street. And she is what what she is doing is jumping up and down trying to stop cars from driving past it. And then she sees me like walking past it with the dog and starts screaming like crazy at me. And what I come to understand is that uh, she has been, like, running around the neighborhood following this man who has been setting fires in the middle of the street. Huh. uh, Concerned because her daughter lives in the neighborhood, and she's worried that it's going to burn somebody's house down. Uh, But she, she was French and didn't speak perfect English, so she's on the phone with 911 trying to describe what's going on. Wow, how lucky is she to run into you, the show's <laughs> chief Frenchman. Yeah. <laughs> so she gives me her phone, and I, like, I like tell the dispatcher where this is happening, and, uh, <laughs> and they, like, you know, some cops come out with a fire extinguisher the egg crate material was too aflame to put out with your feet it was melting but the reason she was worried about me being near it and cars being near it was that she'd looked in it and saw that there were cans in there and she thought they might be like aerosol or full of gasoline or something wow so she was actually like uh, it was actually like I mean, she she looked nuts the entire time I was walking up to her, but once I got to talking to her, I realized she was like not at all and was having like a very like a very scary moment that she was responding to pretty rationally. It's wild how a person's first instinct is that a wild outburst of emotion or volume has got to equal crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that like it was place contextual. And you know she, it was she was just in like a jogging outfit, so it was it was kind of she didn't look like anything in particular. Lululemon doesn't say hobo. <laughs> just from a distance, it, it was tough to it was tough to read what the situation was. Yeah, I'll say. Um, well, wow, so yeah. did you make a new friend? Uh, you know, I I I left before. Uh, you know, we talked about anything but the fire, but I I hung around for. 
20 minutes while uh, while the cops came and she and another person that were there gave descriptions of this guy and they said that they'd already put out two other fires in the neighborhood. Was the like, suspect matching the description of Manu Sadia? <laughs> <laughs> Wanting to eliminate the, uh, the other French people from the neighborhood? <laughs> there can be only one, he says. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like French Highlander. Yeah, I mean, uh, she said she said he had tattoos down both arms, so that's oh, that that's out. Manu to a T. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a guy uh, for whom soft cheese is too painful. Uh, he has gone with the full sleeve arm tattoos as a <laughs> as a thing. Yeah, <laughs> is he anti soft or anti hard? I can't remember. All I know is that it's uh, it's insane to have such a hard line stance on cheese. He is anti melted cheese. Mm. He likes he likes cheese, but uh, any hard he, can turn soft with temperature, right? He said something recently. He thinks he's had one good pizza in his life, and it was in Naples. That's and and I'm just like, what the hell? Like, I I have like legendarily controversial food takes, but this is insane. That's a real uppity food take. I'm just gonna say it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once I had pizza in Naples, I just stopped having all other pizza. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Have you made him your egg pizza? That would change his mind. I have not made him pizza on the big green egg, but I I threatened to when I saw him on Twitter talking smack about all pizza and he he said he was he was up for the challenge. Yeah, and that's a good word to use. Like it's funny how we see <laughs> both in each other and in other people a challenge when someone has a food opinion we disagree with, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's wrong. Why do we take that upon ourselves? I don't know. I mean, I think that there's like the way like the English language is poorly equipped to distinguish between objective and subjective when it comes to opinions. That's why you prefer French opinions? The language is a little tighter? I don't think French is any better. I just like, but like when I say... I don't like sandwiches. It, like people are like, but sandwiches are good, and I'm like, they're not to me. Yeah, I'm not gonna relitigate this with you. Whatever. <laughs> what I am here to litigate with you, Ben, is this second episode of Deep Space Nine, season five. I think it's pretty interesting. It's called the ship. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> No, of course you don't. This uh, this episode opens in the way that all interesting episodes open, a mining survey. <laughs> ben, what's the difference between a captain going on an away mission and a captain going on a mining survey? Why is Cisco here? Boy, why did they take a runabout given how many people are on this mission? <laughs> Like, we never see the back of a runabout. You're totally right about this. But you can infer from their numbers that they had six people in the back? Five or six people? It was a crowded runabout. There's three people, I think, we see in the in, in the cockpit of the runabout, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not including the people who remain. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny when we cut back to Deep Space Nine and, uh, and the little D dock there. Like, they're not doing anything. It's yeah. just Worf's apartment over there. It's not like they couldn't take it if they wanted to. Worf would have been more comfortable if they'd taken the little D. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are things to like in this episode if you if you look past the first five seconds. <laughs> uh, I thought the dynamic between O'Brien and Muñiz was really interesting in this yeah, in this episode, it it it's a lot more like jocular, and they kind of bust each other's chops and stuff than I was used to. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was interesting. Like you know, M- Munoz keeps referring to O'Brien as sir, and he's like, "Not an officer." I don't I don't want to get stuck going to to functions because you keep calling me sir, and people get the wrong idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the kind of ball busting you could only get if the person above you in rank is also not above you in rank. It's weird, yeah. and no one's comfortable with it. And what takes the place of discomfort is some teasing. And that that's a uh, way of being that I think you and I know pretty well. Yeah, I kind of like that Munoz likes to take the piss a little bit. I have a question. Yeah. In a way that is safe to do with his boss. Yeah, that's good. Uh, they're uh, on this planet looking for something we've never heard of before called Cormaline, and they're on a planet called Torga Iv. 
Fuck you. God damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they found they found a whole mess of tourmaline though. Yeah. Uh, I think um, that's a, that's one of the things that makes Red Bull work, right? Oh, that's right. It is. Yeah. The discussion of of where the 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 planet is makes it sound like they're pretty far from Dominion space, but they get a call from a uh, chaotic ensign up in orbit. <laughs> uh, she's she is not vaping, which no. is unusual for her species. Yeah. What what do you suppose that is? I mean, maybe she kicked the habit. <laughs> she's the only lady benzite we've ever seen, so yeah, maybe, maybe maybe the ladies don't need it the way that the guys do. Maybe, yeah. What would be going on with a species where the the female of the species breathes a different gas mixture than the male? Maybe the man in the canoe in her lip makes conventional vaping impossible. <laughs> I didn't see that. I, uh, I frankly didn't even know, to, know that it was there. <laughs> I was told to look for it, but uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't find it. <laughs> Uh, she gets on the audio blower to tell Cisco that they've got an incoming. What kind of ship? And it is a damaged and crashing Jem'Hadar tick. It should enter the atmosphere near your position. This thing comes down and they beam directly to the crash site. And I feel like it's a, a pretty impressive scale of outdoor set right. for Deep Space Nine. But this doesn't, it's not the right colors. Like it doesn't look like a tick. Yeah, I got that same feeling. I think it's obscure, like the shape of the tick is obscured because it's buried under all this rock, and that doesn't help. I think so much of our contextual understanding of these things has to do with their shape versus their color. But it appears like for having just crashed that it had baked under this desert sun, and a lot of the color has been uh, sort of bleached out of it. I just think it's an unfortunate artistic choice because the... Everything outside is like sun bleached California dirt, yeah. which is the color of every exterior that Star Trek ever did before Star Trek Discovery. Right. And just putting a paint like a like a coat of purplish blue paint on it to make it match the ticks that we see in space would have made it pop so nicely. And this hull is the exact same color as the dirt. They shot the episode in Soledad Canyon, and it was 120 degrees when they did. Fuck. Like they they're standing on the USS patio quite a bit during the episode, <laughs> and it feels like if they had taken your advice and gone with a different color, they would have gotten less reflected heat off of yeah. the surface of this thing because it's just steel plates, Ben. Go for a lower albedo paint job. Yeah, your actors are going to be much more comfortable. Or you know what? Set up a couple of bistro tables and some umbrellas out there. Yeah, get some of those plastic lawn chairs. That sounds nice, right? They break into this thing, and they—it's—it's uh, it's some pretty fun like horror film going into the scary house stuff. Yeah. I, I looked up the director of this episode. Uh, her name is Kim Friedman. And she uh, directed a ton of TV. She directed like Voyager, 90210, Babylon 5. She's got a super deep television directing resume. And then has recently had a second life as an internet meme. What? She had like her daughter made a an Instagram account called Crazy Jewish Mother of <laughs> shit that Kim Friedman texts her. And... It like it went viral. She, they've been on like the Today Show with this. You know, it's like shit. My dad says kind of kind of a premise. Wow. And they I, they have a podcast. It's like an advice podcast, and they have like a like a, a burgeoning internet empire. <laughs> Try to imagine uh, hosting a podcast with your mother, Ben. I can't. I can't. I can't I, either. I, I'm just like amazed that like I don't know. Like I, it's it's such a cool thing that she. She had like this super prestigious television directing career. Like she, well, I wouldn't go that far. Babylon Five is probably not something she keeps on her resume. Maybe, maybe one or two blemishes, but (laughs) went on to like, uh, you know, it seems like she she maybe retired from directing in 2014, but still uh, still doing active cool 
cultural stuff. You're telling me that Kim Friedman at one point had a successful film and television career and traded it in for a podcast. (laughs) That is great. That old chestnut. (laughs) We've heard it a million times. (laughs) You write about the haunted house of the interior... Uh, of the USS patio because it has uh, it has crashed inverted yeah. and that does some pretty fun things like the one horror movie trope I feel like you get is the strung up person the strung up dead body yeah and in this orientation all of the deads aboard are going to be hanging from the ceiling which makes for a fun like back into a room turn forward into a hanging body situation yeah and the sets are really fun because the floors are on the ceiling and like the what they're walking on is all like pipes and lighting and stuff we've never been aboard a tick before and this is something that i think dax and cisco discussed earlier so the value of the exploration is fairly pronounced but because we haven't seen the inside of a tick and this is our first go at it, I don't know that we're going to remember what the inside looks like the next time we see one. Yeah. Just because we're experiencing it this way. Yeah, but that's uh, that's a fun, it's a fun way to, you know, very like Alice in Wonderland way of introducing it. Right. Um, All the bodies they come across are basically sacks of busted up bones and guts because the thing that took this thing down was an inertial dampener failure. And that is the thing that steadies you against the movement of the ship. And when this ship took off for the atmosphere, it totally pulverized everyone on board. The ship accelerated. People were thrown into the bulkheads. I was really laughing at this because the chief is like describing this totally terrifying thing that happened to kill everyone on board and then it's like but the ship's in great shape whoever designed this baby knew what they were doing yeah <laughs> like in the same breath as describing a system failure that killed <laughs> all of the occupants it's like finding the propeller of the titanic at the bottom of the sea and, and going like man can't believe they ever built him this good yeah <laughs> pretty great <laughs> If, Come on, Chief. if you're going to string up a body with every bone in its body pulverized, I would have expected more of a teardrop water balloon kind of, yeah. kind of corpse. Part of it is because there seems to be like some internal and external bones on the Jem'Hadar, right? They're kind of insecty that way, right? Like, I guess that, so. I don't know. I No, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, I think that the, the thing that is described is not what is shown and it should have just been grape jelly all over the inside of this ship not not identifiable corpses o'brien just slides into that bridge (laughs) come on in moonies the water's fine uh back on deep space nine we must be reminded that there are a few people left behind over there uh those come in the form of odo quark and bashir and uh, it's Odo accusing Quark and, Bash- and Bashir of conspiring to trade in some regalian flea spiders. A superior form of life. Bashir is doing the sort of experiment where, uh, where he gets a bunch of insects and then pulverizes them in a mortar and pestle and then administers them to Kira so she can stop sneezing or something. Yeah, and, and what it is is that he asked Quark if he could get his hands on some of these. Quark snuck them in despite the fact that there is a uh, a requirement that a permit is pulled for these things. I mean, it's not so much the, the flea spiders as it is the crystals that Quark tried to sneak into this shipment. It's the crystals that are the problem. Right. They're described as uh, aphrodisiacs, though. It doesn't seem like Sounds something that fun. makes you want to fuck should be forbidden by Bajoran law. And for that reason, I would assume that Bashir would be involved in... In such a scheme. (laughs) What do you imagine the regalian flea spider's urine tastes like? (laughs) Gross. Back on on Torga Iv, uh, they're discussing the USS patio, and there's a really nice establishing shot here, Ben. Uh, It looks like they set up some track outside on this sand, and then they stuck a jib on top, and then they drove around this curve. Yeah. And, and and they descend onto O'Brien Munoz and Cisco. This is where they're like they have a panel open and they're like working on the yeah. ship. 
really nice move here. Yeah, it's, it's nice uh, to get outside where there's room for this. It's a like at this at this point in filmmaking, kind of a a motion picture level establishing shot. You know, like it's yeah. it's one of those. This really gives you a certain amount of production value. You know, bespeaks yeah. a a a certain amount of money was spent on this production. Uh, it's a cheap shot to do now with the advent of the drone camera. Mm-hmm. But at this point in time, this is like a, you know, five or six person operation to make a camera do this. Yeah, you think about what it takes to do on an uneven surface and a 120 degree temperature. Track is difficult to level in situations like this. So you're like dropping apple boxes and shims onto it to make sure it's level. And then you're driving the dolly over and making sure it doesn't sink. And then you're bolstering certain areas when they do sink. It's like super time consuming to get the initial setup. And so like like several people might spend all day to get this one shot kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you talk about television scheduling uh, and how fast they need to shoot a lot of this stuff, the investment in time to set up just this single shot this way, uh, I thought really stuck out to me. And it sounds like it did to you. Yeah, absolutely. So they are trying to kind of get this thing back up and running. They're eager to take this thing back to Starfleet to uh, see what makes it tick. Oh, delightful! <laughs> and, uh, they uh, it, the the runabout that they stupidly brought uh, is not going to be able to pull it out with its dinky little tractor beam. So they are either going to have to like fire the thrusters and get the ship back. Out of out from under the mountain, or or bring the little D. So, the little D is on its way, uh, but uh, but they're working on getting power back online in the meantime. And there's a, a fun little moment where they're kind of out on the on the underbelly of this tick, and uh, O'Brien turns to Munius and he's like, "Do you know what they call an Irishman who spends all summer outdoors? Patio furniture." <laughs> Oh, man. You really brought your A-game today, Ben. <laughs> That's uh, My friend Tony Borden made that joke up. It's one of my favorite jokes. Very nice. Tony O'Borden. <laughs> Otherwise, that's racist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can say it because I'm part Irish. Right. Some of your best friends are Irish, Ben. <laughs> there is not a lot of discussion before the Jem'Hadar appear and start shooting after destroying the runabout in orbit too. Like it's a, it's sort of a coordinated attack. The runabout is destroyed and then they're surrounded. And so they retreat to the interior of the ship in the process. Like one of the randoms down there gets killed and uh, Muniz is shot in the belly, which is the worst place to get shot by a phaser, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, anybody who's seen the George Clooney film Three Kings knows that uh, you're just going to fill up with, with green stuff if you get shot yeah. down there. Yeah. O'Brien's got to stick a ballpoint pen in that wound. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien should use bagpipes to <laughs> refill his lungs. <laughs> I mean, the great. Irish have, a, have their own type of bagpipes, so I feel like that's much more associated with the Scottish. All right. All right, that's right. Yeah, that'll go really well on social media, that if, comment I made. If groundskeeper Willie were there, you might have something to talk about, Adam. Yeah, but as it is, I don't, because everyone looks the same to me. <laughs> uh, I, I was a little disappointed in the Starfleets that uh, their phaser accuracy was as bad as it was. Didn't look yeah, like they tagged a, a single Jem Hadar in their way, in their way under. For his great of a shot as most Jem Hadar are supposed to be. Uh, I was also a little surprised at how often they shot wide. I mean, they 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 land some hits, but you know, yeah. I think the script is just a little sloppy. You know, yeah. like get the have them hit two of the Jem Hadar and get down there and be like, but we were on stun, so they'll be back on their feet in no time. You know, yeah. just yeah. just put that in so that they don't look like total bozos. <laughs> Yeah, this is your second point here. You got to get past this point to like the episode. Yeah, and the Gemador do not beam through the hull of this ship, and it is driving them nuts why that might be. They retreat into the ship, and it's two and a half days until the Defiant arrives, so yeah. they're not experiencing much of the outside world, and that's where a lot of the fear comes from. 
Right. And what and what they're hearing from the inside. And the first thing that they hear is Kalana's voice. My name is Kalana. And she's the Vorda in charge of the groups outside. She's kind of talking about like battlefield parlay where she and one Jem'Hadar come and Cisco and one Worf come and they talk the situation out. So they meet outside and the Vorda all are are very consistently slick in a very particular way. She seemed California nice to me in a way that read suspicious from, from Jump. <laughs> yeah. Cisco doesn't act the way I would, which is like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> why are you being so nice? Yeah. Cisco is saying like, hey, like there's a, there's a pretty well-established tradition of uh, naval salvage here. Well, that's the attitude of a thief, not a Starfleet captain with a reputation for integrity. The Dominion doesn't subscribe to that particular legal interpretation. At no point does he say, well, I'm not li- like inclined to make deals with you. You just killed four or five of my people and <laughs> shot my ship out of the sky. <laughs> I love how he never brings that up. That's great. Like, come on, Cisco. Like, that should be in the script, right? Yeah, it really should. Especially because we haven't forgotten. It just happened. Yeah, it is top of mind. There may have been a commercial break between then and now, but that's not too long. <laughs> we're, not, we're not goldfish watching this show. No. You remember. Uh, while they're having this conversation, we uh, we check out Worf standing up on top of the ship and the camera pans over to the open door. And then inside the ship, a Jem'Hadar materializes and cloaks himself and starts running around. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's a, uh, that is a fade to commercial moment. Jem'Hadar to commercial. <laughs> this guy appears to have planted something aboard the USS Patio because as O'Brien and Dax are walking around the ship on what I guess is just a routine patrol, they find this thing and, and question where it came from. Whatever it is, it doesn't look too friendly. No sooner as they as they see the thing as this guy appears and starts clobbering him. Yeah. And, uh, and they, they managed to uh, distract this guy long enough for Munoz to, to shoot him. But uh, this crab that he snuck aboard with has, has scanned the ship and presumably sent critical information back to the Jem'Hadar. And Munoz is really in a rough way. Like, whatever the Jem'Hadar shoot, it is, it is not a normal phaser. It's like his wound won't close up so he just like kind of has like a a bleeding belly wound this entire time yeah if the Jem'Hadar are shooting a projectile with a casing I feel like the casing is like 500 milligrams of Bayer aspirin (laughs) (laughs) which depending on your age and taken daily uh, might be something a doctor would prescribe in Munez's case it is not allowing his blood to coagulate and that's a big problem he is in a tough way, and like the medical kit that they would have had it was uh, was with somebody else, or it's at their base camp where they beamed over from or something, so they don't really have any actual medical technology to bring to bear on this problem, so the chief is just kind of like playing strip nurse with it, like he keeps pulling pieces of his uniform off and trying to sop up the blood. He's really getting bummed out by what's happening to Kike as he refers uh, to Munoz. And at one point, Dax like pulls him aside and she's kind of trying to cheer cheer him up. And and Worf is like, don't try and cheer him up. Munoz is definitely going to die. (laughs) Yeah, they've got way different ways of quote unquote being there for for O'Brien. Yeah. And uh, Worf does not respect Dax's way at all. Worf and O'Brien have been through the deaths of crew people before. It's weird that Worf is being such a hardliner in this case. I get the sense that he didn't like Munoz. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem like Worf is interested in Munoz's situation at all. Like, no. I, I think it's like once he's once he's injured enough to be not a tactical asset, Worf is just like he's dead. Don't care about him. Munoz left dirty dishes in the defiant commissary. He is without honor. (laughs) Munoz left his towels on the floor of his bathroom. A hanging towel is a happy towel. (laughs) He did not make a green choice. (laughs) 
Munez is not doing so hot, but he's sort of buoyant in the face of death. Like, he's still quippy and chopping it up with O'Brien. Yeah. I mean, I hope when our time comes, Ben, and it'll probably be together, uh, <laughs> that both of us can have that kind of attitude. <laughs> just just holding hands as, yeah. as the friends of DeSoto that we've outraged for some reason storm the stage. You're, you're tearing pieces of obviously like something made out of linen that you're wearing mm-hmm. and stuffing it into my wounds. <laughs> I, I, I love cloth made of flax, Adam. Yeah, and me wearing some sort of bullshit technical garment. (laughs) Unable to rip the sleeves from it because the stitching is too strong. I've never seen you in a technical garment. Yeah, that's not me. I'm trying to to be more natural, Ben. I think you're a big inspiration for me in that regard. Aw. I think think you've got a great sense of style. Oh man, you you needed a lot of time to get that out. I'm proud of you. I was gonna, I was just gonna go back to the plot, but I realized that I, 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 I didn't want to leave that hanging. It's fine. All right, you don't have to feel obligated. It wasn't to disingenuous, Adam. I was being serious. I don't believe you. I, I, I don't know what I could say to make you believe me. That was that was a, a sincere remark on my part. This whole incident is kind of a mystery because when Cisco takes stock of it, he's like, what the fuck was that sensor? Why wouldn't they just drop a bomb on us? And also, why send one Jem'Hadar and not all of them in? And also, what's the deal with Kalana? Why is she being so nice? Yeah, the, the puzzle here seemed really obvious to me at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah? I, I like... Like, they make the case that this is going to be, like, a big twist when it is revealed why the Jem'Hadar are being so weird. And I just thought, like, everything pointed to one thing. As soon as Kalana said, uh, you can have the ship, we don't give a shit about it, but there's something on board that we need. Like, there is nothing else that it could have been besides a founder. Right. The only question, I guess, is, like, Well, you gave it away. Spoiler alert. Adam just said what what the thing was. I didn't. Why would a founder conceal themselves? In the ship, though, like there's so many threads that go untied. Yeah, well, they're worried that Bashir might be with with them, and he might try yeah. and drink it. Yeah. Uh, interesting that he is not there to minister to Munius in any way. No. I think the script is a little. It feels a little rushed and bad, but mm-hmm. I think that's one thing in it that is an interesting choice. Yeah. Kalana calls back up, and she is uh, she is just falling all over herself to apologize for the way they acted. I trust no one was hurt. And Cisco again is so neutral here. He should be flying off the handle with her. We've got a lot at stake too. It's clear that Kalana's side has all the leverage, but I mean, as long as Cisco and crew are turtling inside this ship, and there's something of value inside, uh, it would appear that they are at. Jem Halagerheads, Ben. In terms of their argument. (laughs) What is that even a pun of? (laughs) Uh, When you can't agree on the terms of a thing, you're at loggerheads. Yeah, no, but it's just, it's like a totally arbitrary portmanteau. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I can do wordplay too, Ben. Okay, apparently. (laughs) Unmotivated. It's not unmotivated. They're trying to uh, agree on terms of of ship versus thing that Kalana wants inside. They can't come to an agreement, so they walk away from the negotiating table. But you could just as easily say they're at Jem Halagerheads, Ben. They're at Vortagerheads or Federagerheads. I think mine is the best of those three. (laughs) I just think that it's unfair that you've put all of the loggerheads on on one ethnic group, you know? Yeah. Plays into an ugly stereotype. <laughs> this is a bad race show for Adam. That the Jem'Hadar are uh, are not diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's at this point in time that Cisco retreats to the inside of the ship, and that's where these depth charges begin. Yeah, I really it- like the way she's like announcing that they are not going to be continue to try and use diplomacy as she yeah. is beaming away. 
Yeah. There's the Vorda seem to be able to like think their way into a transporter beam and that's pretty terrifying that they could just transport whenever they want. Yeah. They're they're better at two things than the Federation. There's the ungestured transporter beam and there's also the they don't need to look to the sky when they talk to people on comms. Pretty classy. Uh, at this point, you know, there are bangers getting dropped all around outside. I liked that they left that those explosions kind of unexplained for mm-hmm. a little while. Like, you, you start to hear them when Cisco runs back to the ship, and then they, you're hearing them for a while before they uh, it's explained that the Gemini are just kind of dropping dropping explosives from space to as as a psychological ploy like they're trying yeah. to they're trying to get under their skin and it's really working like Dax really starts to fly off the handle Worf starts to fly off the handle like Cisco needs to scream at everybody to calm down and Kike is starting to starting to like disassociate in time and space he's like reverts to only speaking Spanish and doesn't seem to know where he is or what's going on yeah, he's tripping balls. Yeah, very, uh, very scary and uh, and good performance. I feel like this scene is the center of the episode that you start writing in opposite directions from. Like, what happens when? What happens when you stick <laughs> the Deep Space Nine crew in a situation that they can't control? For like, like, what would happen if you stress out our main characters? And I'm very interested in a story about that. Yeah, but um, the movie would start with this scene and be like, "Bet you wonder how how things got this bad." <laughs> the anger and frustration that these characters had in this scene felt supernatural to me to the degree where I was like, "Oh, is the ship? If the ship is full of Jem Hadar and the Jem Hadar are ready to kick ass, like, is there something about being on the ship that gives you that endorphin?" I wasn't believing that it was the stress that was causing oh. their argumentativeness. I thought. I thought it was something else. Like there's something in the air. Yeah, that's what I imagined. And I mean, we know now that that wasn't true, but why is that, you think? (laughs) Did it just come too much out of nowhere? I don't know. I I felt like it could have maybe been fixed with dialogue or maybe could have grown in a more gradual way because I feel like uh, things really get heated fast. I think the script is saying what it wants, but it didn't quite earn it. Yeah, I, I don't think anything is wrong with anybody's performance. I don't think no. that that that's unjustified. It's just that they're like we're missing like a scene or two or some explanatory dialogue. Instead of a scene like that, Ben, we get two dead ends, which is Dax searching the ship and finding two computer disks that are uh, not discussed ever again. Yeah, uh, they don't appear to have anything useful on them, and then Worf ripping a computer off the wall and them not doing anything with that. They're convinced that they'll be able to find whatever the Vorda and the Jem'Hadar wanted on the ship. And, you know, like, if they can find it, it's their leverage. Yeah. And uh, so to that end, it's it's smart for them to be looking for it, but they just don't have any idea what they are even looking for. Worf unsolicitedly counsels O'Brien about uh, his beliefs... W slash R slash T end of life issues. You are just another weak human afraid to face death. <laughs> and uh, the discussion does not go well, Chief O'Brien, because he like throws a punch at him. I said that's enough! Did not expect that. Yeah. They're like lit- litigating Terry Shivo a few years before right. it actually happened in reality. Yeah, Worf is, is trying to justify mercy killing Muniz. <laughs> and uh, O'Brien is not there for that. Let him go to Stovokor with some of his dignity. Yeah. Not going to Stovokor, Worf. <laughs> Worf has gotten a lot worse, right? This isn't just something we're imagining. Like, it seemed like on the Enterprise, he was not this forceful at projecting his worldview onto other people unsolicited. And he is really throwing it around this season. Um, maybe just being, having spent so much time in such a Klingon environment yeah. uh, in the last episode has like has like reset his his manners right they're kind of stuck here with no other choice but to try to take the tick 
off of the planet's surface, and they have no burned matchstick to help them do it. They attempted to connect a bunch of wires on this thing, hotwire it, and get it going. This is a ship they don't understand at all. Like, right. entire systems are totally mysterious to them, but... <laughs> In the face of all of that, they attempt to take off, and shit just goes wild almost yeah. as, as soon as they do. Pretty brave of them to to do it, but uh, yeah, they're pushing it and pushing it, and sparks are flying all over the place, and eventually the lights go out, and uh, O'Brien announces, "You're just grinding metal. Come on, he's down." And it's like you know, it's like it's one of those things where the ship is now in worse shape than. Before yeah. they they tried, yeah, and, yeah. It's uh, like getting a flat tire and then trying to drive on the rim for a while. That's that's just not good. You got to pull over. And if that wasn't enough of a bummer, the chief uh, walks over to check on Munoz, and he has passed away. RSVP Munoz. Yeah, interesting that they established that character as long ago as they did, and and brought him back a bunch of times for a bunch of really different reasons. Yeah. It feels like a a bigger, heavier deal when it happens than it would have if he was just a guy that they introduced in this episode. And I think it uh it goes a long way toward justifying the next scene, which is Cisco really having having a bum out about having lost as many crewmen on this on this mission as possible and he's like, you know, the only way I'll feel like this was worth it as if we can get out of here with this ship. Were you as bummed as Cisco in this scene? I think he was like, more bummed, but I th- I think that is because like we kind of didn't know any of the people in the runabout, but he did. So like I'm really bummed and sad about Munoz, and then you multiply that by four, and you can kind of get to where he is. I think. Ben, I feel like if we were to run the montage of Munoz's life on Deep Space Nine as we knew it. It's Munez uh, coming up with that deflector dish idea on the little D. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Munez making fun of O'Brien a couple of times. Yeah, wasn't he there when O'Brien like came back from prison and he was like he was like helping oh, yeah. him get back into into being the chief? Yeah, I think we get three character development moments with him, and I think that that is insufficient to properly grieve him like i think the thing that would have really me really made me sad about his death is like one moment where munoz and oh and the o'briens go out to dinner and like maybe munoz's partner is there with him like right like something that made him something other than a co-worker i guess because i, I don't know it just feels like a little bit empty i would have wanted to feel more i'm not saying that that Munoz was a shit character. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to kill someone and make a big deal about it, like, really work the emotional angle. Yeah. I kind of feel like they realized they had a more interesting character to kill off than a red shirt would have been. And yeah. that's why he's... Like, I, I don't think that they planted him 10 episodes ago with the idea of getting to this point so that he could die. Yeah. You know? So that's... I, I I think I disagree a little bit, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, so there's a there's five dead already on this mission, and with the bodies stacking up, Cisco's really starting to feel it. While they're having this conversation, Dax is uh, you know kind of trying to comfort him and express how much this wasn't his fault. Uh, they're looking at. Uh, at the ceiling or their floor, some little uh, little droplets are accumulating on it, and as they look up, and uh, a bulkhead kind of t- goes gold and falls on the floor, and it's kind of this writhing mass of of founder gold, and then it uh, and then it turns into the the carbon dust that we we saw the last time we saw a founder die. It's dying, and we're in trouble. It explains why the Jem'Hadar didn't directly attack the ship. Here's our answer. I think it is such a shame that this show had as exciting a special effect as they had when they had uh, Mary Universe Odo by the farm, mm-hmm. and they left that visual <laughs> behind. 
That would have been great, like the explosion in close quarters. Yeah. That's fun. Cisco and Dax are like covered with the stuff. Yeah, they, they pop up out of the ship like a couple of chimney sweeps. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, that's big fun. So that was the object. As a result, it's RSVP Changeling, RSVP all of the Jem'Hadar soldiers who have shot themselves in the head after uh, after realizing the death of the Changeling has taken place. Yeah. Because from the outside, you can hear it. You can hear the death. It's, it's weird. It's, yeah. Wouldn't it be deafening inside the ship if it's making <laughs> it all the way through the mountain into yeah. the quarry outside? Yeah, it would be. It would be great if it were like the uh, the dumb and dumber, most annoying sound in the world sound whenever a changeling dies. <laughs> it would be great if they get back to the station and uh, and every every time they talk to somebody in between now and then, they're like, "What? Huh? What? You see that shit coming out of their ears? <laughs> they can't fucking hear." Yeah, and then uh, Bashir has to like. Uh, has to like repair their their ear canals or whatever. Cisco's like he was making a move, man. <laughs> I had to get I, it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kalana and Cisco argue about whose fault this was, and this is maybe as heated as Cisco gets. Yeah, she shows up like immediately. Cisco is sort of uh, a little bit broken about all this needless death over yep. this thing, and uh, Kalana asks for permission to uh, load up some of this founder's coffee grounds into her arrow press for the trip home. <laughs> and so she does. She takes a little scoop, and uh, and that leaves the ship to Cisco's care. Yeah. We get a brief exterior shot of the tick getting towed back by the little D. And then uh, once we're inside Deep Space Nine, we get a little more of the Dax and Cisco discussing the mission. They get medals, which is cool, but Cisco is still pretty broken up about this he's got these five names to write a report about and he just can't bring himself to do it yeah, what cisco the, needs right now is a needs of the many speech from someone and dak seems incapable of giving it we both know that ship out there was worth it at what cost is a is a tough question mm-hmm. in, a, in a thing like this who very briefly makes the case that this may save thousands of lives but i think that it's it's such an abstraction Mm-hmm. When you get to five thousand lives, yeah, uh, that it doesn't it doesn't feel like anything. Unclear whether or not her words uh, help in this situation, but uh, Cisco isn't the only one grieving. There's also O'Brien who is sat next to the Mark Iv torpedo casing containing Munez's body. Uh, it's nice to see that the funeral sciences have maintained <laughs> all the technologies from early Star Trek movies, right? Like, yeah. into the casing you go. Right. That's fun. Yeah. O'Brien uh, says, says, is saying goodbye to, to Mark Iv, and Worf kind of, like, walks in on him, and it's one of those, like, oh, I didn't realize you were in here. Uh, but uh, he realizes that O'Brien is uh, sort of like sitting Shiva, and he's like, "Oh, well, I'll I'll sit Shiva with you." And he, uh, you know, throws a cloth over the nearby mirror, and they have a little a little morning hang. Worf again is projecting his beliefs onto others when he tells O'Brien what he's doing. You're performing Akpo for your friend. Jesus, Worf! Like, ask a question and then listen to the answer. <laughs> he's a bad listener. Yeah. Well, we didn't, I don't know if we've ever seen his ears, so yeah, maybe you can't hear. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so they both sit down together, and that's the end of the episode. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Did you like the episode, Ben? Overall, I did. You know, like there are th- there are a few things that you do have to look past to yeah accept this episode, and I think it's like it's one of those. Great premise, terrible title, terrible script. Yeah. Episodes, but you know, it's it's really fun to spend some time kind of expanding our understanding of Jem Hadar life, like the weird uh, Google Glass that they find in the in the mm-hmm. ship. They're like they don't have a view screen; they just have this. And yeah, uh, kind of uh, you know, adding some texture to the to our understanding of the Dominion is is a lot of fun. 
Yeah, the idea of a windowless ship as being what the tick is is super interesting, and it makes total sense. Did you like the episode, Adam? I am in total lockstep with you on this. Like, it was more fun of an episode to talk about than I think it actually was. Yeah. And there are a couple of real roadblocks here in the story that you've just really got to somehow surmount in order to love it completely. Glad to know a little bit more. Glad to know another Vorta. I mean, yeah. every time we have an interaction with the Jemadar, again, it's like they are playing for much higher stakes than anyone else. Like as soon as that founder died and then all the Jemadar killed themselves, I was like, yeah, that is totally what they do. Because like, it is- what is it going to take for the Federation to declare war against them? Because like at this point, they are just indiscriminately shooting. Yeah. Federation ships out of the sky. Like, yeah. That's not, not something that they should stand for. They're, all their weapons are torture weapons. Yeah. Munoz was shot with a weapon that is meant to make it so that everyone around a wounded soldier will be occupied with their care. It's an especially gruesome kind of idea. Time and time yeah. again, we're like proven how awful and dangerous the Jem'Hadar are. And Cisco continues to treat the situation diplomatically. And assume that they're going to come in as good faith as he's coming in. And Kalana proves him wrong every single time. Cisco feels like as much of the guilt at the end, like if we'd only trusted each other, we could have avoided all this. And the burden of, of uh, you know, extending an olive branch is not on you, Cisco. <laughs> Yeah. Like, tr- trusting them is how you get into fucking Eddington-type situations. It appears like he's being Eddingtoned constantly now, and I don't know how he's going to pull out of this. He needs to tighten it up. Got to get your shit together, Cisco. He's wandering onto a used car lot, and he's being sold lemons every episode. <laughs> well, uh, one thing that drives great every time is a priority one message, Ben. Oh, what's it going to take for me to put you in a priority one message today, Adam? Nothing at all. Nothing but a high interest car loan, Ben. That's that's what <laughs> Cisco would accept. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is from Hardcore Fenton Mike and Denise Cosby Blinded by Your Vape Fog. It's for Mordock Pineapple Upside Down Scented Haru Belated Birthday Boy. Hero? I don't know how to pronounce that. H-E-R-O-U-X. Haru? I don't know. Anyways, it goes like this. Now when you're old like Mordock, Vaping 24-7-365, you're going to want to construct a Benzite-style vaping apparatus. Your preferred vape pen, metal clamps, and screws from your local hardware store, and a Neil Young-style harmonica holder are required for a hands-free OSHA-approved vaping. Your constant vaping is a war crime! Fuck you, birthday boy! Nice pivot between characters. Yeah. It, it was very helpful that they wrote... The the P1 in dialect? Yeah, it's kind of phonetic that way. Yeah, yeah. Like Mark Twain wrote it. <laughs> if if Mark Twain wrote things as dumb as the, as the Greatest Generation. Almost all of our great impressions were included in this P1. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Arden. And in parentheses, it says it's like garden without the G. And it's for Jim. Message goes like this. Happy Father's Day. Uh, the date of this submission was April 25th, so that is uh, unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere near dads or grads at this point. If I uh, sent my dad a Father's Day card right now, uh, I would be unsunned. <laughs> <laughs> Message continues. You and Justin are amazing dads, and I'm so happy that you have another child to celebrate this year. I'm writing this on the day of Robin's birth and hoping that by Father's Day you will be settling in as a family of five. May your kids grow up to be silly nerds who aren't even a little embarrassed to enjoy Star Trek with you. Love you all. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Happy Father's Day, Jim. Sorry it is so tardy. Yeah. Jim, by this point in time, months and months after, 
April 25th, we'll have taken out tons of dirty diapers. Yeah. Jim is just wondering, like, does Arden even give a shit about <laughs> the fact that I am a father? Jim, I promise Arden cares. Arden <laughs> really cares. Uh, just like we care about reading Priority One messages. If you've got one of your own, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbro... Slash Jumbrotron. <laughs> Jumbotron, Jumbrotron is our, our bro-to-bro communication yeah. uh, system that we have not used yet on Greatest Gen, but <laughs> MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron is the one we use most often, and uh, whether that's a commercial message or a personal message, both go a long way in supporting yeah. the ongoing production of the show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I'm going to give mine to O'Brien, but mm. not for the reasons you might think. Like, punching Worf is pretty crazy, but uh, I'm not going to give it to him for that. <laughs> yeah, O'Bri- your fists are writing checks your ass can't cash in, uh, in a moment like that, O'Brien. I would like to maybe at another time interrogate whether or not O'Brien is a good fighter. I would like to know <laughs> the answer to that question. I don't think yeah. we have enough uh, data for that. But uh, O'Brien's the first through the hole, I think, on the USS patio. And upon exploring the ship, he walks past several broken and opened dryer hose vents, uh, venting a mystery gas. And he <laughs> does not even try to avoid... Or like put his face in the crook of his elbow or anything. <laughs> and I think I think you've got to do that, right? Like it's okay to cover your face when you walk past the the busted gas vent. With when it comes to the Dominion, that could really be anything. They have said that this is the first time boarding one of these ships. It could be a vaporized you know, like a founder in vapor form. If you inhale a founder and then they take form inside your lungs, you die, right? They just explode you from the inside like a chest yeah. burster. You'd look like Odo when he got shot in the mirror universe. That would be really rugged. I would like to see that death. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Who's your drunk Shimoda? I'm going to give it to Cisco because when uh, Kalana calls up the first time, She's like, hey, just hit the green triangle on any panel and uh, and you can talk to me. And without any hesitation or concern that hitting the green triangle might initiate self-destruct or something, <laughs> Cisco just complies. And man, you got to keep your head on a swivel around these, around these founders, man. Yeah. Like, would you put it past the Jem'Hadar to have a button available all throughout a ship that just... <laughs> self-destructs or uh, like upon hitting it you die it's just it's just a suicide button i feel like that's a total like that is totally in keeping with the way the jemadar roll if a first jemadar has to discipline someone under him it may be easier in some cases to just go to carl hit the green button (laughs) for being late to this meeting hey carl why don't you go hit the green button? It, it's like a, it's like an insult among them. <laughs> yeah. Too much trust is the problem in this episode. Like if we could distill it down to one thing. Too much and not enough. Yeah. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase. 
of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, uh, I trust you're going to tell me the episode we're going to watch next. What's it going to be about? The next episode is season five, episode three, looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. <laughs> Boy, they really turned it around on the on the titles being bad, didn't they? <laughs> Where did that come from? Orf helps Quark woo a visiting Klingon woman, despite the fact that he himself is in love with her. Wow. Kind of a uh, Cyrano de Bergerac Klingon edition. <laughs> You are a lady with some very interesting uh, needs if you could be attracted to both a wharf and a quark. Yeah, very uh, very open-minded. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'm into All it. about it. Yeah. Uh, well, Adam, uh, I suppose I should uh, head over to gach.biz slash game so we can find out how we are going to be watching this next episode. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. How's it gonna be when it goes down? Well, we are currently on square 43. Uh, looks like we could hit a Coco No-No and we could hit a Space Butthole. All right. Depending. Okay, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna hit the roll button. Roll this bone. Oh man, so I rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Landed on square 45. Regular old episode. All right. The Coco Nono and the Space Butthole remain hazards. Tantalizingly close to yeah. the Coco Nono. Well, that will be the next episode, Adam. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. In the meantime, I hope the friends of DeSoto who like the show and want to see it continue. Head over to MaximumFun.org slash donate and contribute to its production. Also check out our other Star Trek show, The Greatest Discovery. We've uh, 
We've been having a lot of fun over there and also covering all the news about all these new Trek properties that are, are coming out. It is really nutso how when we started The Greatest Generation, we were like dealing with basically a dead franchise. And now there's a zillion new television properties in production. Yeah. Are you, are you regretting what we've changed ourselves to? <laughs> <laughs> no man. Okay. I feel like I, I feel like we uh, we got in on the ground floor of something really cool that's happening. Yeah, we had some great timing, didn't we? Jeez. Yeah, it's maybe the first time in my life I've had good timing for anything. <laughs> Pretty great problem to have. Yeah, uh, we've also got Friendly Fire, the hit war movie podcast that Ben and I do with John Roderick. It's great. We should thank. Adam Ragusea, who makes all the original music for the show, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song, upon which our music is based. We should uh, we should thank J.J. Lendl and Bill Tilly, who uh, make movie posters and trading cards of each episode, and uh, post those on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. Uh, if you'd like to talk about the show on social media, Use the hashtag GreatestGen. There's Facebook groups and Reddit sub, Discord things. Lots of great people on Twitter. Friends of DeSoto are all over the damn place. It's true. You you can try to get rid of us. And then another one pops up in their place. (laughs) Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, where Ben and I fight over the same girl. While all the time not realizing that there's been a girl that's liked us the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Nuts. You, you know, you, you focus on the girl in front of you, Pen, and uh, <laughs> you've missed the girl attacking from the side. Clever girl. So just to recap, if you need to send a commercial message or a personal message, anything like that, uh, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. And if you need to reach Josh, it's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbrotron. (laughs) We should get that set up. (laughs) Hey, hey, Danny. (laughs) Little favor. Can you do maybe two hours of work for a joke no one cares about? (laughs) MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported